I'm excited to be able to speak with you today. Pastor Kurt is next door speaking at Followers, so he'll be back next week. But I just want to remind you, we have two churches that operate here, and that's pretty exciting. We are reaching lots more in our community by doing that. But I get to talk to you today about family. So I want to know who here in this room has the perfect family. Like every single person in your family is perfect. Yeah, there are no hands raised in this auditorium, right? Well, I, I, I get that. I get that. I did a word association game with some people and I asked them, so what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say family? Do you know what the, the number one answer was? Dysfunctional. Yeah, that's the number one answer. It wasn't great. It was awesome. It was dysfunctional. Well, if your family is a dysfunctional mess, let me just say that you fit right into the Bible. Like literally, you're like a family right out of the Bible. As I was searching through scripture to find this model family to, to reference for this message, do you know how many I found? Zero. Not one family. Let's just take a look at a few of them. We have Adam and Eve who had two sons, one of which murdered the other. Dysfunctional. King David's son rebelled against him and betrayed him and took over his kingdom. Dysfunctional. Jacob and Esau were twins who started fighting in their mother's womb. And then as adults, Jacob swindled his brother out of his birthright with the help of his mother dysfunctional. Even Jesus's parents weren't perfect because they ended up leaving him at 12 years old at the synagogue, synagogue and had no idea he was missing for an entire day. So even Jesus's parents weren't perfect. But each of these families, in all of their brokenness and messed up dysfunction, still served a higher purpose in God's story. God still wrote beautiful stories out of their dysfunctional mess. So no family is perfect. We all know that. But by God's grace, every family can still serve a purpose. And whether you are a teenager in the room, whether you're an empty nester, grandparents, whether you're raising kids now, whether you are single or whatever stage you are in life, you have the ability and the responsibility to help contribute to being a purpose-driven family. And this is part five of our purpose-driven life series, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We are gonna look at the story of Nehemiah and what he teaches us about how we can create a purpose-driven family. Now, Nehemiah is 13 chapters long and way too long for me to read the entire thing. So I'm gonna summarize and highlight a few verses. But in a nutshell, here's what happened. The Israelites rebelled against God and they were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And when he took them captive, he completely destroyed and annihilated the city of Jerusalem, the walls around it, and the gates that were to protect them. It was all left in complete rubble. Now, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, picks this story up 70 years later. So they were in captivity for 70 years. And then finally, the Israelites were released from captivity and allowed to return to Jerusalem. However, when they returned, they were without walls and gates around the city. So they were left defenseless and helpless against their enemies. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew who worked for the Persian king, right? And he remained in Persia during this time, but he had heard from his brother how things were happening and what was happening as the Jews were returning to Israelite or to Israel, to Jerusalem. 
And so chapter 1, verse 3 says that his brother reported back, things were not going well for those who returned because the wall was torn down and the gates destroyed by fire. We are left in disgrace. Now this causes great, immense sorrow for Nehemiah, for his people. So with the help of the Persian king who he worked for, Nehemiah leads the charge to rebuild the walls around the city for protection. Chapter 3 is where it gets really good for me. Chapter 3 reveals the method that Nehemiah used to accomplish this enormous task of rebuilding these amazing walls. And the enormous task was assigned to projects for each family unit. So this is where we get into the family purposes. He assigned projects to each family unit. Now, I can't possibly read every name and every family and every assignment that he lays out in chapter 3, but he assigned each family to rebuild the portion of wall that was closest to their home. Now, each family unit worked together for the purpose of rebuilding the wall. Even after rebelling against him, God still is using them for his purposes to help rebuild the wall. One of the things that that tells me is it is never too late for God to use you, all right? And it's never too late for God to use your family. Now, during this rebuilding process and all the hard labor, the Israelites were deeply afraid because their enemy was always waiting and watching for an opportunity to distract them or attack them. And here's how Nehemiah responds to their pleas about their fear. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, and listen very closely. This is the heart of the message today. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and here it is, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In all of the things that he could have said, Nehemiah did not say fight for your country. He did not say fight for your rights or fight for your individuality. He said fight for your family, and he listed them by name. Why? Because each family had a purpose that the enemy wanted to destroy. The first thing he needed them to fight for was their families. And God wants to save our families so that we can save our nation today, just like he did and Nehemiah did when he was rebuilding the wall. It's been said that a family can survive without a nation just fine. But a nation cannot survive without a family especially one that is driven by the purposes of God. However, it's no surprise that the family model that we portray here in America has strayed so far from God's designs and so far from God's commandments, and mostly in part because of the cultural influence around us. Every time Israel fell captive to somebody else, it was because they were falling victim to the culture and the idols around them. And that's happened in America, and it's happened to our families. So here's the big idea that I want to talk about today. To be a family driven by the purposes of God, you have to transform to God's design rather than conform to culture. And that starts when we become deeply concerned over the damage that's been done. 
Nehemiah was brokenhearted, sobbing over the destruction that had happened to his Israelite family. And after praying, the first thing he did was survey the damage around the wall and the gates. Are we even aware of the damage that's being done to our families in this day and age of time? Statistics say that fewer than 46%, fewer than 46% of kids will grow up in a traditional family as is portrayed in the Bible. And why does this matter? Because Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord build the house, unless the Lord build the house, the builders will labor in vain. If God isn't building the family, if God is not building the house, then who is? Government, social media, the entertainment industry, and more. So the question is, who is building your house? Who is building your family? Is it God or is it something or someone else? Out of the story of Nehemiah, I see four strong characteristics of a purpose-driven family that we're going to cover today. And here's the first one. The first one on your outline is build the walls and fight to protect your family. Much of America culture stresses about providing for their family, providing their needs, providing opportunities. But providing is not the same as protecting. Before Nehemiah focused on the homes and the culture within, he focused on keeping the enemy out. Even as they worked to build the wall, they were being threatened. And the Israelites worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And they never relaxed in the process, not even enough to put on pajamas so that they could go to bed for a good night's sleep. They wore their work and fighting clothes constantly. They were constantly on their guard. And a purpose-driven family does not happen on accident. We have to fight for it. There is a moral and cultural and spiritual decline in America that is influencing and seeking to destroy our families. We have to put boundaries up to keep the enemy out and not let down our guard or compromise. But the biggest thing we have to do is identify the enemy. Proverbs 24.3 says, It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. You need wisdom, and you need understanding. Let me give you an example out of my own life. When my daughter was little, she watched the Disney Channel a lot. No big surprise if you know me. But certain shows influenced her level of sassiness and disrespect. She was emulating the things that she saw. So for a while, guess what I did? I banned Disney from my house. And if you know me, you know that is a very big deal. I love Disney. But I had to put boundaries up to keep the enemy out of an ungodly influence and attitude in my daughter's life so that there was not damage being done to her heart and there was not damage being done to our family because of her emulating what she saw. See, without wisdom of seeing what was causing her behavior, I would have never had the understanding of what boundary to put up to protect her and to protect our family. That's just one example. What cultural influences do you need to identify and protect your family from? 
Nehemiah sought God for wisdom, and he knew the first thing he needed to do was keep anything destructive and distracting out. And then he united families to make the wall happen. But there's another reason that he united families to do this job. And this is number two on your outline. The next characteristic of a purpose-driven family is unite your family to serve a larger purpose. See, the families were assigned to the task of rebuilding the section of the wall right in front of their home. This wasn't just for the purpose of protecting their own family, but also protecting everyone in their community. If one area of the wall was weak, then the entire nation was threatened. Purpose-driven families don't isolate themselves from the culture because they understand that their purpose is to impact and protect the culture. Another good reason that Nehemiah united families to do this. John 17, 15, Jesus said these words as he prayed to his father in heaven about his disciples. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the enemy. We are not to be in the world We are to be in the world. We we are not to be of the world. We pray for protection. We put boundaries up to protect our hearts and to guard our motives and to guard our hearts. But we need to be in the world so that we're portraying something different. And when our family units unite together to impact the culture and a community around us, then changes happen in our nation. And for this to happen, we need to discover how each individual in our family is uniquely designed and created to contribute in a special way. When the wall was being built, Nehemiah said that some fought the enemy while others focused on building the wall. Each had a unique role that they played. Each person in our family is uniquely designed. Some are intellectual, some are relational, some are artistic. Some are gifted with certain gifts and some have talents and some have other skills. Nehemiah helped them discover that even in their brokenness and dysfunctional state, they still had a purpose and it was greater than themselves as individuals and it was even greater than their individual family units. As we discover the individual gifts and passions of our family members, What we do is we work to combine those gifts in a way that serves for a greater impact outside of ourselves. I'm privileged and honored and blessed to be able to say that at this moment, everyone in my immediate family serves in some capacity here at East Point. But none of us do the same job. See, my husband would never get up here and speak But he does work on the tech team so that I can get up here and speak. My daughter uses her gifts in Epic Kids to help love on the children. My oldest uses his creative eye to help with the cameras so that you can see what's on the screen and online. And my middle child helps with facilities and managing maintenance and cleaning of the facilities so that all of these things provide opportunity for God's church to be built here at East Point so that you can come and have an encounter with God. Our family unit needs to combine with your family unit to make this happen, to create a bigger and amazing encounter with God for the people in our community. 
Joshua 24, 15 says, choose for this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, every family has a purpose they serve. What purpose is your family serving? Is each member serving themselves? Are you serving the American dream, cultural trends? Are you driven by sports? Are you driven by success? Are you driven by grades? Or are we serving a greater purpose into building the kingdom of God, which is what we were called to do? In order to find this greater purpose, we have to have the third characteristic of a purpose-driven family that I see from Nehemiah. And that's number three on your outline. Make God your priority and purpose. Nehemiah chapter 8 tells us that after the protective wall was in place, the focus became realigning the hearts of the Israelites with the heart of God. He called on Ezra, a priest, to preach the gospel, to preach the commandments of God, to realign them with the truth of what God had told them. And the result was they repented and they changed their priority. The sad thing is researchers are saying that this newest generation of children before us are biblically illiterate. They have no knowledge of the Bible. Very sad since our founding fathers built this country on biblical principles. But kids are not quoting Bible verses. They're quoting rappers and memes and celebrities off of social media. Many things are wrong with our families, but one thing stands out as detrimental, and that's that we no longer put God first. And the big question is, what do we care most about our families knowing? What do we care most about our spouse knowing, our kids knowing, our siblings knowing, our grandparents knowing? Well, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is what it means to be a purpose-driven family, to pass down the truth of God's word from generation to generation. And it isn't just done on Sunday mornings. The gospel is to saturate your everyday life when you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're driving in the car, when you're sitting and waiting for your child to get out of piano lessons every single moment of the day. Guys, I could sit here and I could talk about, you know, a purpose-driven family needs to pray more. They need to eat together more. They need to play together more. But none of that will matter if God isn't the first focus of your life because other things will distract you and it will end up meaning nothing. God has to be priority, not secondary to anything. See, Israel fell victim because they stopped putting God first and they looked to other idols instead. What do our idols in America look like? Well, they're different for everyone, but I would venture to say that one of the biggest ones that we have now is our cell phone. I'm going to step on some toes, and I apologize for that. But our cell phones, social media, Netflix, the average adult spends five hours on their phone a day, while the average youth spends eight hours on their phone a day. Thousands 
and thousands of moments are lost on time-sucking devices that we could be encouraging each other in the word, that we could be instilling values of God's commands into each other's lives. Don't miss the everyday moments. Don't wait for the moments to happen to teach our children, to teach each other. We have to make those moments happen. If a family member were sick or injured, wouldn't we seek immediate medical attention to do anything we could to make them better? Of course we would. But the American family is threatened. It's threatened by the infection of immorality. It's threatened by the disease of doubt in God or that he even exists or he has any authority in our lives. All because we have not made God a priority in our families and lived out his purposes. When I first became a parent, I had a very wise friend who had four older, almost grown children. And I asked her some of the secrets of raising children. And one of the things she told me stuck with me. She said, I never allowed my children to be involved in a sport or activity that required them to be at games or practices on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night because we made church and youth group our priority. They still did piano. They still did music lessons. They still did sports. They still did all the activities. But the priority was God. And that was never compromised or sacrificed. As adults, every one of her kids will tell you that they did not feel like they missed out on a thing. And every one of them all have families now that are involved in the church that are seeking God and serving God together. See, culture says that families need to be experience rich. We need to do all the sports. We need to acquire all the things. We need to get the grades, get the degrees, have the success, go to all the vacations, go to all the places. Life becomes so busy that there's no time to be together with each other, much less have a focused purpose. But God's purpose is not about experience rich. God's purpose is about relationship rich. Being relationship rich in him and relationship rich with each other. Are we guiding our families deeper into an awareness of their need of a savior? Or are we guiding them deeper into experiences that will not last for eternity? Here's my challenge to you and myself. What this week can you cut out that will allow you to be more relationally focused on God and each other? What's one thing? Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a football game. Dare I say that up here? What is it that you can cut out that will draw your families together. Now I know the reality too, is maybe somebody here is struggling because you maybe are only the only Christ follower in your family and you feel like you don't have a shot. What are you gonna do? But here's my encouragement to you. Even if just one of you in your family, no matter what age or stage you are in your life, even if just one of you decides to live sold out for God, then you can make a difference in your family. And that's number four on your outline. You can change the legacy you leave behind. You may not have control, but don't underestimate your influence. Change in your family starts with change in you. We have to model a better way. 
So what you need to do is you own what you can change, and then you influence what you can't, and then you surrender the rest to God and let him take care of it. After the wall was built and Ezra taught the word of God to the Israelites again, little by little, they began to restore back to a nation under God. They changed the legacy they were leaving behind. My father was the son of an alcoholic. And early on, he saw how negatively that had impacted his family. He started to follow in those footsteps. He was a drinker. But one day when my siblings and I were younger, my dad changed the legacy that he had been left. He took every ounce of alcohol that was in our home, poured it down the drain, and he never touched another drop again. He gave up what he knew could destroy his family. I once told him that the perfect dad is not the one who gets it right all the time. It's the one who sees what's wrong and does something to change it. He changed the legacy that he left behind. And as a result, I can guarantee me and my three siblings are much better for it. Where is the area that if you applied your faith, you could change the legacy that is being left behind? Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's apathy. The, word, the list goes on and on and on. When King David was on his deathbed, he called to his son, Solomon. First Chronicles 28, 9. This is what he said to him. This is what he said to his son on his deathbed. My son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. This is the legacy that we need to leave behind. But we have to model it, not just speak it. You know, the old saying is, you can't choose your family. That's not entirely true. <laughs> I have a biological son, and then I have two adopted children. We chose our adopted children. Now, our adopted daughter likes to tease our biological son that, uh, yeah, mom and dad are stuck with you, and they chose me. And I just gently remind her that we can always change our minds. <laughs> but here's the, the beauty of it. Once you become a believer, when you accept Jesus, you now have two families. You have a physical family and you have a spiritual family. Ephesians 1.5 says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that you could be adopted into a family, an eternal family, a spiritual family. If you are a believer, you gained more siblings than you would ever want to have to deal with. But you're invited into a family. And we at East Point here are to be a part of a family. We're to be a part of what God created. So my question to us as a family of East Point is, are we doing our role as a family unit to commit to the bigger family? Are we helping protect each other? Do we serve a larger purpose other than ourselves? Do we help invest in and maintain the spiritual health of the body of Christ? 
because that's our calling. There are so many ways to do this. We have a Get Connected board back there with a serve opportunity. There are opportunities for each of us to invest in each other's lives. One of the major opportunities that I would like to highlight today is kids ministry or middle school ministry or high school ministry because our kids need to stop being biblically illiterate. They need adults and siblings to come alongside them to help instill the values of God into their lives, to have another big brother or another pseudo mom or dad speaking into their life because as a parent, I know I needed all the help I could get. So if you have a calling, if you have a desire, there's a, those are specific areas that you can help better the kingdom of God and be a part of the bigger family. Today at East Point, we have an opportunity. In your family, you have an opportunity. It doesn't have to start with the entire family. It only has to start with you. So my question to myself and to you today is, what do I need to lay down? What do I need to protect myself? Where do I need to look at the higher purpose? Where am I not letting God be God in my life? So that I can gather around the people of God to serve the purpose of East Point, to serve the purpose of the Spokane Valley that God wants. It's a calling that we are all called to. And I just pray that we would rise up and accept that challenge. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful that you do not call us to do this life alone. You do not call us to individually step out and be by ourselves to go and do what's seemingly impossible of spreading your gospel, of building your kingdom here on earth. You invite us to join hands with each other. And so, Father, I just pray right here, right now, over East Point, over those watching online, I pray that we would begin to make changes in this community, that we become a family that people want to be a part of. But, Lord, it starts with us as an individual. If you're sitting out there today and you want to take this challenge, you want to better your own life so that you can make an impact in your own immediate family or your extended family, then pray this prayer with me. God, I surrender my life to you. I lay down all that is not of you. I pray that you would protect me from the enemy. I pray that you would give me wisdom and understanding to make my family great. But Lord, I know it starts with me. So I surrender to you all that I am. Change me, mold me and shape me into who you want me to be. And maybe you're sitting there today and you have never accepted Jesus. This whole idea of a family thing is completely new to you. But you're ready to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You're ready to admit that you cannot do it on your own anymore. If that's you, and you've never accepted Jesus and you wanna do that today, then pray this simple prayer with me. God, I admit I need a savior. I admit that I have sinned against you and I want to come back into relationship with you and in relationship with the family of believers that you have surrounded me with. So I surrender my life to you and I ask that you would do what you will so that I can be an impact on my family and those around me. Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you, nor would we want to. Mold us, shape us, 
and make us more like you. In your name I pray, amen.